This is the Seminole Wars Authority. Hello and welcome. In the 1830s, the United States Army actively recruited young people from ages 16 up through 23. In time, that meant going to Florida. It was a miserable duty, where there was a war raging between the soldiers and the Seminole. Jump ahead two centuries, and one will see the ranks of the blue-sky uniformed soldier reenactors, mostly filled with old-timers. Although the regular army back then had some old-timers, they weren't really this old. Now, as a means to infuse some young blood into this hobby, and to more accurately represent the actual ages of the soldiers from that time period, the informal company of living history reenactors for the Seminole Wars is actively recruiting new members. One of those who's gotten the history bug is Ethan Parks. He's a junior at South Sumter High School in Bushnell, Florida. He joins us this week to discuss the ins and outs of getting involved in this specialized martial hobby. He tells us everything you need to know about suiting up and moving out as part of the spectacle that attempts to reenact for the public the conflict between the soldiers and the Seminole. Ethan Parks, welcome to the Seminole Wars Authority. Thank you for having me on. Nice to be here. Please tell us about yourself and what you're doing. My name is Ethan Parks. I'm a high school student at South Central High School. I'm a junior. I am trying to preserve Florida's history and the history of the United States. We learned Florida history in fourth grade. And I remember maybe one paragraph about Dade's Massacre in a Florida history book. That's all I can remember learning about this. That's what you want to do. Why are you doing it through this medium of the living history reenactor? Just trying to preserve history and teach others about it. I get a chance to talk to people at my school about this and family, and I invite everyone out. Social media is a good place to advocate for this stuff, teach people over that. But yeah, that's why I'm doing this. Let's set aside the pleasantries and get right down to brass tacks. Are you having fun doing this? I'm having a blast. I'm having the time of my life. I'm just living the dream, getting to meet new people and play Army for a weekend. How do you describe the feeling participating in these living history demonstrations? The feeling is unexplainable. It's one of the best feelings. I barely slept the day before I came out here to reenact that rush you get. Maybe whenever people are pulling up to a theme park and see the roller coaster, that's the feeling I get the day before reenactment. Have you wanted to do this for a long time? Learning about the American Revolution really sparked it all. Since I was a little boy, I'd pick up sticks in the yard and march out like I was marching into a line of battle. Please clarify, because this is not cowboys and Indians that you play in the backyard, and it's not adult-level paintball. So what is this? So when I say play army, I don't mean playing like a paintball, as you said. I mean representing the United States Army. It's a fun thing to do. You get to do lots of fun stuff. You get to go out, shoot a musket. Um, but the real core of it all is keeping this history alive and honoring the men who fought and died in this conflict. Conflicts around the world, really. I reenact Civil War sometimes, too, getting to honor those men. The biggest thing with reenacting is honoring the people who came before us, honoring our country, and keeping their spirit alive. 
How did you first get exposed to living history? I came to Dade Battlefield probably the first time. I've lived in Bushnell almost my entire life. But I came to Battlefield on a fourth grade field trip because we were learning about the Seminole Wars. Again, there's only a paragraph in the history book, but we were learning about it a little bit. And we walked from Bushnell Elementary down to Dade Battlefield, and there I saw Mr. Steve Rink portraying Paddington McCormick. And when I saw that, I kind of just said, that's what I want to do. I want to get a musket, I want to get a uniform, and I want to do what he's doing. How long did it take you to follow up on that desire? It took about five years. I came to a couple of the reenactments. The end of my ninth grade year, I joined Dade's Youth, and Miss Karen Cloud called me over one day and said, because I went to a few Dade Pioneer Day camps during the summer. She was a counselor there, and she saw how into it I was, and she said, come out one day, and I introduce you to these reenactors. I'm like, okay, well, it's going to be a Dade's Youth meeting with a couple reenactors talking, so I'll go to that. Well, when we get here, me and my mom pull up, and I see a few blue uniforms out at the breastwork, and Miss Cloud sitting down on a picnic table, and she got me registered as a state volunteer, and then pulled me over to the reenactors, and I talked to Mr. Marshall, Mr. Jesse Marshall, and a few others. The Bill Gruber, the park manager out here, was reenacting that day, and I was recruited. So for the first few months, I'd come out and I'd drill with Mr. Marshall, no uniform, Florida Heritage Day came up, and Mr. Matt Milnes and Mr. Marshall lended me a couple uniform items, so I was outfitted as a U.S. regular. And at the end of that day, I went ahead and bought a 1833 forge cap and a canteen, a haversack, and some burgundy. And then Mr. George Webb gave me a pair of his trousers and a shirt. So I was pretty much outfitted for the basics you need. Maybe December, I got all that stuff. I went to a reenactment, which I didn't know at the time was a reenactment. That'd be my first one I ever did. I thought it was just a living history thing out at the Dade City Pioneer Florida Museum. There, I bought a cartridge box, a cartridge box sling, and a bayonet scabbard and sling. And then I had the federal legal, of course. I presume you had to mow a few lawns to make some money to complete your outfitting. That summer, I had to mow a lot of lawns to get money for this stuff. I came across a few deals. I wound up buying my first shell jacket from Mr. Charlie Thaggard. Later on, I eventually was able to buy a correct pattern from Mr. Marshall again. And that's the uniform I wear today. You're a young guy doing this. What are the rules? The state park rules say that 13 to 15, you can be on the battlefield. You just can't have a musket. And then under that, you can be a musician. You just can't be on the battlefield. But 16 and over, you can carry a musket and fire on the battlefield. I do not own a musket or a bayonet yet. Mr. Matt Milne has lended me muskets through... I think every reenactment, he is lending me a musket, which I highly appreciate his kindness. The next thing I'm trying to get is a Springfield musket, which I have not been able to come across one for less than $1,000. <laughs> I knew that was going to be the biggest obstacle to get over, but I'll be able to right here soon. 
Within this living history community, do you find your youth to be an advantage, a disadvantage, or a mix? It can be an advantage at some times and a disadvantage at others. I think the biggest disadvantage for youth is that state parks rules are very strict for reasons that I agree with, but it can be a little difficult to be able to get out there and do stuff and be motivated. But the advantage of being a youth is out there on the battlefield, for example, Dade's battle, the soldiers built a breastwork. And there are some guys out there that have aged throughout the years, to say, and it's a little harder for them to get those big, heavy pine logs up and erected. I was able to help them out with that. So, yeah, there's some disadvantages to being a reenactor as a youth, but I think the rewards outweigh the bad stuff. After the public spectacle, the living historians stay together and overnight it in their tents and they sit around the campfire. How have you fit into all of that? At night, we'll sit around the campfire. We'll talk about history. I came into the hobby thinking that it was going to be hard to fit in as a youth, but these people have accepted me greatly, and I appreciate everything they've done. Coming from a family of maybe one person who enjoys history as much as I do, and that person I don't get to see a lot, being able to go out and sit on a campfire and talk about history, the thing that I love, it, it's really nice. And lots of them are impressed that there's a 16-year-old that knows about the Second Seminole War. And Word of mouth learning is an excellent way to become familiar with aspects of the Seminole Wars. But it also pays to crack the books. What have you been reading to prepare the books and articles that I've read, I think the book, first book I read was Dade's Last Command. Mr. George Webb, he gave me a copy that was actually signed by Mr. Lommer. I wish I could have gotten to meet him. Dade's Last Command is a comprehensive chronicle of the final days of that ill-fated march from Fort Brook in Tampa to Fort King in present-day Ocala. Yes, I've read Dade's Last Command Massacre, I got that from my school. They gave it to me to keep. And I've gotten books about the Fort King Road, the U.S. Marines, and the Second Seminole War. The books and the learning, there's only so much you can put into a book. Mr. Lommer was very good about putting a lot of information into those books. But again, there's only so much you can put into a book. Being around a campfire, you have so many different minds, and you can talk about it with a lot of different people. And getting to talk to Mr. Marshall around the campfire, he's a walking encyclopedia. I've learned about as much as you can learn about this battle from getting to talk to people around the campfire and reading Mr. Lommer's books. You've been to a few Seminole War reenactments at different parks. How does the Dade battle presentation stack up among them? I think from all the reenactments I've ever seen or participated in, granted I haven't participated in many, but I've watched a lot of them. And I think the day's battle is probably the most accurate of all the reenactments I've ever seen. Knowing that and getting to go through that myself gives me another view on what the soldiers went through. Doing the battle, you kind of fear yourself, knowing that there's not anything in the guy who's pointing up at you, knowing there's nothing in there that can hurt you. But, you know, you can feel somewhat of the fear those guys felt. 
and getting to give that information to the public, it's amazing. Now, Ethan, what do you mean fear? Don't you know the script? Don't you know what's going to happen? You never know when that shot's going to fire. I'll give you an example. This past reenactment, you hear Dade say his line and he goes up, but I'm at the rear, so I can't really see him go up. So you don't know when that's going to fire. So it's just a surprise. There's just so much going on in your head at that one point in time. Whenever you step on the battlefield, many people might think that we are using modern terms and no, we're living what the soldiers live. Of course, we're not being slaughtered, but we're hearing the same commands they were given. How important are the veterans to this hobby in mentoring you? They have taught me the do's and don'ts of reenacting. The do's are always tell the public what you know. Tell them what you know. All the information that's in your head, go ahead and spill the beans. But if you don't know something, don't try to make it up. Even one person can make an impact on thousands. And especially today with Facebook and Instagram and things like that, someone can post one thing and it could be a video of you saying the wrong thing and now the public is misled. Of the figures that you've studied in the Seminole War, whom do you find most inspirational and why? I find most of my inspiration from Private Clark. That would be Ransom Clark, one of only three survivors of the Dade Battle from the U.S. Army. There's not much information about Private Sprague or Thomas, but Clark, Clark, I actually have his account printed out. I was reading his account today and seeing and reading what he went through, and he still finished the fight to the best of his ability. I mean, he was in the front guard, which he said, the whole front guard almost was taken down at the first volley, and he is a survivor of that. To see all your friends slaughtered right in front of you and to still go out strong and tell the story, I most likely could not do that, I think. <laughs> Ethan, when you're in the heat of the battle, you find intercourse a strength that will help you do that. I learned to appreciate my life right now. This past reenactment was a test of, as my dad would say, a test of my manhood because it got down to 31 degrees and in a little canvas tent, it's not blocking sleeping in wool. I have a wool blanket over me and I was still cold and sleeping through that was hard enough. I could have gone home anytime I wanted to, but those guys didn't have a choice. Tents are small, not a big space, and you got to fit six of those guys in a tent. Um, I've ate hardtack before. I mean, it's not horrible, but it's not something I'd want to eat on the daily. And the clothing they wore, as Mr. Marshall says, if you're uncomfortable, you're doing it right. It's very uncomfortable sometimes and being in Florida. So you, I appreciate my life and what my parents have given me, privileges that I have from doing this. It makes me appreciate it a lot more. With this time on the ground as a foot soldier... Do your plans include active service with the U.S. Army today? No, sir. So I am actually going to join the United States Navy in about a year. This has made me want to go into military service more. Not to live the way they did or to live the military life, but to go out and 
serve my country to the best of my ability like these guys did, but to also try to spread the history and to teach people the history in the military, because not many people who joined the military know about this war and even know about the American Revolution, one of the most famous wars we've ever fought. I can take my knowledge, go into the military, serve my country, live the sailor's life, and teach the history of, yes, the Army. They'll probably get mad at me for talking about the Army so much in the Navy, but I can also teach the Navy's history to people. And our longtime listeners know the Navy had a presence on the land during the Seminole Wars. Ethan, back where you are right now in high school, how have your fellow classmates received you in portraying a blue sky soldier as a living historian? Well, um, it certainly is not the easiest thing because people at school don't find it very, you could say, cool. But, you know, I can get up in front of my history class, and I've done this this year when we came to the time period of the Florida War. She asked me to present something. So I can get up and tell them about it. And, you know, they appreciate me more because I can tell them the test answers sometimes. I can help them on the test. It is sometimes hard because they're not interested in it and they might think that dorky or nerdy. But you know what? I'm not a peer pressured person and I'm going to do my own thing and I'm going to do what I love no matter what anybody thinks. If they don't appreciate me, they don't appreciate me. If they love me, they love me. And those who are interested will seek you out. I hosted up a flyer of a volunteer opportunity during the reenactment to help park cars and serve food. And I have a friend who's in my ROTC unit. He pointed at the poster and said, well, how do I do that? I'm like, well, you just tell me you want to do it, and I'll talk to Miss Lamro and see how they can have you volunteer. He said, no, 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 no. I want to reenact. So how do I reenact? And I said, all right, uh, we'll get you registered. We were already talking about loaner uniforms before he said anything, so I knew he would be outfitted. Yeah, there's some people at the school that want to reenact. He came out and reenacted, and he plans on doing it for the next couple years. It's an experience that's hard to explain. It's something that I will always do um, to the day I die. You mentioned you're in the junior ROTC in high school. How has the living history reenacting complemented both your participation in junior ROTC and other pursuits? So it helps me a lot, actually. What I found out from my first sergeant, for ROTC, he's a Marine, and he had studies to be qualified for certain ranks. He had to study this war. So whenever I found out he knew about this war, I was surprised. But Marines know a lot about their history. They take a lot of pride in that. It helps a lot to know this stuff in school, because right now in English class of all places, I'm doing a presentation about this battle and about what mistakes were made here that led to the column's destruction, mainly in American history. But yes, it sometimes gives me topics to do presentations on. And if we're doing something about the battle in U.S. history, it gives me a little head start on it, knowing the history of this and knowing the history of the United States. But there are some times to where I might go off and do a little bit of reenacting instead of studying for my math test or chemistry test. 
but for the most part, it doesn't interfere with much schooling, and my teachers appreciate what I do, want to hear from me. What insights do you believe you'll take into your adult life from this? What insights will I be taking? Well, I will always take the bravery of these men to heart and to remember if Ransom Clark can be shot multiple times and still make it back to Fort Brooke, I can do a lot of stuff. I'll be taking appreciation for modern life and I'll also be taking in the, how do I put it? When I eventually have children and have a family, I will make sure that know the history here and know what happened here. And for the military, I'll be taking the knowledge, the bravery of these men, the courage of these men, and the willpower of these men. You know, sometimes I don't think that I can lift a log because it's so heavy. But again, you got to think, well, other people have done million times harder things than just lifting up a log. So I can do it if they can do all that stuff. That's what I'll be taking in, the history and hopefully passing all this on to future generations. You've been a spectator and you've been a living historian reenactor. What are the differences that you found? My first time doing this, complete shock, totally different, totally different than just watching it. So I was a spectator for a long time. I would try to come out here. I wanted to come out to all of these reenactments. And ever since I saw Mr. Rink in his uniform, you know, it's hard to explain. But I will say something. Going back to Mr. Rink in the fourth grade, I moved out of state in fourth grade. I moved to the state of Oregon. And it was fresh on my mind, the battles here and some of them would ask me, well, where are you from? And I say, well, I'm from Bushnell, Florida. And guess what happened in Bushnell, Florida, right in my backyard? This war happened. And they'd be like, well, what is that? I don't know what a Seminole is. So spreading that, and of course, I was in fourth grade, so I couldn't really spread it like wildfire and do what I do now. But they heard about it. In time, your father moved the family back. And the rest is, as we say, history. We're almost out of time. Ethan, what would you like to add? I'd like to add on and say we have to keep this history alive because eventually, actually, if we don't keep doing this, the history is going to be unknown. You might have a few people talking about it. You might have someone find a button here or there, but no one's going to know about this. To recruit younger people is one of the biggest things that we have to do as reenactors. And I thank God that I was able to do this because now I can go tell my friends and yeah, maybe not all of them are going to want to dress up in wool in Florida, but as we saw, one of them did. Just recruit, recruit, recruit and tell everyone you know. It might seem obnoxious sometimes and someone was constantly bugging me about something. I would say, you know what, dude, you need to stop. It's getting annoying, but Tell everyone you know, post on Facebook, post on Instagram, post pictures, post on Google. That's what I tell people whenever I do live in history out here. I come out here as much as I can to do live in history, and I tell them any pictures you've got of even a monument out here or a, or a marker of me, post it so people know that this happened. Majority of the people that I get out here just pass and see battlefields, so they come in and 
they think it's a civil war battlefield. I mean, I've been asked multiple times, are you union or are you Confederate? I'm like, well, I'm neither. Why do you think that is? The Alamo, I think, is what drowns this out because March, the Alamo happened and this happened in December. So not a very long time between these two events. And Mr. Davy Crockett died in the Alamo and Davy Crockett was loved by everyone. Kind of drowned this out and nobody knows about this anymore. We'll leave it there. Ethan Parks, thanks for joining us for the Seminole Wars Authority. Yeah, thank you for having me on. This podcast is copyright 2023. The Seminole Wars Foundation, all rights reserved. Find us on the web at seminolewars.podbean.com or seminolewars.us. Front and back bumper music courtesy of the U.S. Navy Band.